Welcome to Grit, a monthly podcast focused on stories of grit and greatness from the streets to the suites. Grit is a forum for stories about people who possess uncommon work ethic, drive, and passion. They are movers, shakers, role models, overachievers who are under the radar. I'm your host, Margaret Trimmer, Vice President of Strategic Partnerships for Delta Dental of Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. I have studied, cultivated, and curated grit over my 30-year career, including stints in the newspaper business, education, nonprofit management, and now corporate leadership. At Delta Dental, I direct corporate giving to build healthy, smart, vibrant communities for all, the places where people want to live, work, and play, the places where true grit can be found. This month, we are revisiting my very first episode of Grit, featuring Dr. Quan Watson, a Louisville dentist and serial entrepreneur who built Care Mobile Dental, a unique door-to-door oral health licensing model. We are doing this because Dr. Watson is making things happen in Detroit. The first of two Care Mobile vans hit the streets of Southwest Detroit and Corktown this spring. The second one is scheduled to be on the road serving the community in August. Dr. Watson, Ford Motor Company Fund, the Lightship Foundation, and Delta Dental gave away these unique dental businesses to two Black dental entrepreneurs, and they are using them to not only improve public health, they are showcasing how mobility and innovation can revolutionize the delivery of healthcare. Please listen to Dr. Watson's story and imagine the possibilities. Welcome, Dr. Watson. You are my very first guest. Thank you. Let's dive right in, Dr. Watson. You're a successful dentist, you're a risk-taking entrepreneur, and you're now a partner with Delta Dental of Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana, and you're coming to Detroit with a vision. Can you talk about Care Mobile, the latest business you are building, and why you're bringing it to Detroit? Definitely. So I started Care Mobile to provide access to oral health care for people from around Kentucky, of course. And what Care Mobile does, it provides comprehensive concierge mobile dental service where you need it. Um, we are privileged and honored to provide this opportunity to license this model to other dentists or hygienists around the country. And we are bringing this product to Detroit so that the inner city of Detroit or the areas where access is most limited, we can help provide that access there that's so desperately needed. So you've served in a couple of different demographics. You've served the rich and you've served the not so rich. And as I've gotten to know you, I realize you really prefer working in the working class environment with the working class clientele. What's the difference? Yeah, well, I think it's the the greater appreciation the working class has for the services that are rendered. And it's just a part of me to want to help people. And so it's one of those things that servicing people that mimic more of um, my background was something that's more of a passion for me. And it's why I choose to work on the working class more. What is your background? If you can dive in a little bit and tell us a little bit about where you yeah, come so, from. So my, my dad um, was, um, he did, they both graduated from college. Uh, my dad has a sociology degree. My mom's a teacher. And my dad worked in the warehouse at GE for 30 plus years. And so he was a warehouse guy. Been in Louisville your whole life? No, I moved to Kentucky my senior year in high school. I actually grew up in Connecticut. So I wasn't an army brat, I was a GE brat. So <laughs> we moved around a lot growing up from different states. 
Um, majority of my growing up years were in, in Connecticut, but I moved to Kentucky my senior year in high school. Been here ever since. Got it. Well, we're going to be excited to see what you can do in, in Detroit. So mobile dentistry is not a new concept, but door-to-door one-on-one service is. You've talked about how much more you learn about a patient when you see where and how they live. Tell us some of the insights you gather when you treat someone at their own home. And how did those insights actually impact oral health and your relationships with patients? Well, first, when you go to a patient's home, they're in their own neighborhood and their own background. And so they're more comfortable. That's the first thing. And so part of building that relationship is meeting that patient where they are, where they're going to be more comfortable. Um, But you also can identify a lot of things from a neighborhood, you know, some of the struggles and things of that nature. But what you what I noticed most is the overwhelming pride. It It might be a house that you might seem or think is of minimal, uh, looks minimal, but it's their home and it's where they reside. And it's important that, you know, I think they even value you more for the fact that you come to them and come to some of these areas and provide services directly to them. So are they surprised that the service is what it is like really literally door to door in their driveway? Yeah. It's funny. I've had patients say uh, things like, uh, all my neighbors think I'm rich because the dentist is coming to my house. So it truly is something that people find value. And they tend to keep their appointments more because they value the services more. So unlike some providers during this pandemic, you have not seen a terrible slowdown in business during COVID. Can I can I ask you to talk a little bit about the COVID experience for mobile dentistry? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of conventional practices in Kentucky, we were limited to only doing emergency care only for a month or two. And so... If you couldn't do anything elective, it wasn't really worth being open. Um, Whereas we were one of the only opportunities out there for people to get those emergency services done. Why? Because we go directly to them. Um, We've also added a number of features to our van since COVID, like air filtration systems and UVC lighting. And I don't think I even told you, but we actually can do rapid COVID tests now as well on the van. So we're able to know um, if a person has COVID within four minutes of doing a finger prick. Wow. So it's not drive through COVID testing, it's drive to COVID testing. It's pretty impressive. Um, Doing well and doing good. Let's talk a little bit about the give back concept. And that's a really important thing here in Detroit. We kind of pride ourselves on a culture of doing well and doing good. Um, It's certainly something that matters to Delta Dental. You've created Care on Demand, a nonprofit arm for your business. What are you doing with that and, and why? Yeah, well, one project that we did with our with our nonprofit is um, doing good after COVID, even though we're still in COVID was the name of the project. And with that project, what we were doing is for individuals that didn't have insurance that would cover dentures and partials, we would make that for them um, in order to redo their smile so that they would feel more confident and be able to go back into the workforce with confidence. And we did that program in conjunction with BME, who provided us a grant to provide those services in in Louisville, Kentucky. And of course, we're partnering with Delta Dental uh, through our nonprofit arm as well to provide access in the inner city of Detroit. You talk a lot about the hands, but also the heart for the work. What do you mean by that? My heart for this work has been in existence now for over 21 years, right? 
you know, for a minute there, I, it was about when I was younger, it was more about, you know, just the money and financial gain. And I think the the older you get in, in life kind of changes things for you to where you start thinking about what kind of legacy you can leave and how you can impact people's lives greater. And um, it took until my mid forties to realize that this is my give back and this is the way I can impact people's lives. And so um, now it's not a work for me, it's a mission. And so, yeah. Awesome. I feel the same way about my work. How lucky we are, right? Very lucky. Only 4% of the nation's dentists are black and probably even less when you decided to pursue that path back in the 90s at the University of Kentucky. You're a 1999 University of Kentucky College of Dentistry graduate. And you shared with me, now certainly both of your parents were college graduates, so that makes a difference uh, in terms of your vision for life. But you've also shared with me that you were not raised with a limited view of your options. The world was basically yours for the taking. And still there were times when reality hit and you faced obstacles. Tell us about a couple hurdles you faced along the way. Did they surprise you, anger you, motivate you? How did you deal with it? I think everybody uh, has some obstacles that they have to face, right, to get to where they are. I don't think anyone gets there without having obstacles to overcome. A couple of obstacles that I had to face, just one was just graduating from a UK dental school, being one of six African-American students in the entire school and only having one black faculty that looks like you. So, you know, just not having that, that true camaraderie or, or feeling um, apart all the times was, was a challenge. But I also went to the University of Kentucky where, you know, although I enjoyed my, my time there, there was only a thousand plus black students out of 20,000 uh, in the entire school as an undergrad. So, you know, being one of, of a few is something that you get accustomed to when you're in rare airspace, right? Um, but those challenges, of course, persist as you go out into your private practice life and you endeavor into other entrepreneurial journeys. So, you know, purchasing my first commercial building at 27, 28 years old and going, having to go to seven, eight, nine different banks before one gave you the opportunity to actually live that dream. You know, those are just challenges that you, I think you have to go to because a lot of times people make decisions based off commonalities, right? And so if you look different sometimes, you always get that second side eye or that second glance. And so, you know, that's something that unfortunately that you just kind of become accustomed to. It might make you have a little bit more of a chip on your shoulder, but you know, I'm one of those people that it doesn't matter what you throw in my way, I'm gonna knock down that wall, so. So it kind of sounds like the more hurdles, the more motivated you get to tackle them. Exactly, it pushes me to go harder. Did any of it surprise you? I mean, being raised in a household with two successful parents, walking into a university that you earned your way into, did the hurdles appear like, what the heck? Not at all. Um, so growing up, you know, you hear stories about, you know, different challenges that my parents had to face, or even really my grandparents, for example, my grandfather uh, had to leave Arkansas when in the early 1940s because he refused to go to the back door. And, uh, you know, those type of things and those stories you hear as a youngster. And so it, it, it just, you know, lets you know that these obstacles that were around back then, they still exist today. Um, and it's unfortunate, but I think um, as a black person, you kind of are, you expect it. And you actually are more surprised when you get opportunities like the one we're getting today 
with Delta Dental to do good. And so, you know, I want to commend Delta Dental for taking that step uh, to making that change that's necessary in these communities. Well, the time is always right to do what is right. Exactly. You've been an entrepreneur since you were a teenager. And, you know, some people are just born with the sickness and some people acquire it over time and mentoring and, and whatnot. You were airbrushing denim jeans as a teenager and selling them, I assume, like doing I, commissions. I did. You've also owned a Quiznos franchise, two bricks and mortar dental practices, various commercial buildings, and an adult daycare center for people with intellectual disabilities. Um, it goes on and on. Entrepreneurs face setbacks all the time, and the successful ones are the ones who plow through those setbacks. Tell us what's been the hardest part of your entrepreneurial journey and how and maybe even why you have persisted. Yeah, the hardest part is always just finding the right people to partner with. Um, when you're type A, <laughs> uh, disc assessment dominant personality trait, um, finding people to collaborate with can be um, a challenge, right? Because your drive can push other people away. Also, being that I didn't grow up, you know, wealthy, um, realizing that a lot of business deals are and a lot of things are more relationship based. And so breaking through that ceiling and in, in getting those relationships when you didn't grow up with those individuals a lot of times is, is a challenge. And uh, that's probably been the biggest thing that's been a challenge because I don't think I realized that as much in the beginning of my career where I thought, you know, if I just work harder than anybody else, that things will always work out. And it's not always the case. It's also who you know. <laughs> it, does, it does make a difference. Have you ever burned any bridges? I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I have, but it's not intentional. If I, if I burned a bridge, it's because uh, it needed to be burnt. So I'm just curious, did you save any of those jeans? Like, and what did you paint on that? That was your entree into entrepreneurship, right? Right, right. So, so it dates me, but uh, I was a big BBD plant, a fan, uh, Bill Bib DeVoe back in, in, in high school. So I actually had my name down one leg and my face on the other. <laughs> sure, you're an introvert, I believe that. Okay. Um, you, you were destined to be in front of the camera, I'm, I'm convinced. In the last couple of years, Dr. Watson, you've experienced tremendous, tragic, and, and truly violent loss. Um, one of the, the losses you've experienced is emblematic of the racial hatred our nation is sadly known for. Um, can you talk to us? about the, the virtual drumbeat of death you have dealt with the past couple of years. And how did the losses affect you? Like, what have you learned from it? And how have you, how have you turned loss into something positive? Yeah, so, so since I started CARE in the last three years, I've literally lost my father. Um, my son was almost murdered uh, with his grandfather who was murdered in the Kroger's in Louisville. Um, and I lost both of my grandparents last year. So um, losing that many people, I would have thought would have just destroyed me, honestly. But um, I learned a lot from them. And um, I take those things that they learned to make me stronger at this point. And so those, those, those challenges have become opportunities for me. And so I also look at my father who I lost at 68 and with me being 48. Um, realizing that if I only have 20 more years of life, what kind of legacy, what do I want those 20 years to be? 
and the service aspect of what I'm trying to do is what I would want that to be my legacy. Which is what we would hope any of us would do, right? With yeah. with tragedy. Um, I want to probe just a little bit more. The mm -hmm. experience that your son had is unimaginable. Yeah. And it was actually, I remember texting you a page from Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm like, Quan, is this your story? And yeah. it was the story of your son going to the store with his grandfather to buy some school supplies mm -hmm. and his grandfather gunned down in a racially motivated murder. Yeah. How do you even help your young son recover from that and move forward in a positive way? Uh, counseling first, uh, family second, and, uh, you know, God third. Very, I mean, it's just, it's just a combination of those three things that you have to um, really keep focused with, with him. And, you know, we keep our family really close. And my son is very strong, um, spiritual and spiritually, and he has a great family. And so that's how we do it. Yeah. Yep. yep. And is he the child who wants to be a lawyer? Yeah. Yeah. Now, now he did. I, I've been trying to, I told him I should have had a daughter, you know, cause his mom's a lawyer. So he, he, he uh, it's falling after his mother's footsteps. Yeah. I, I believe my daughter needs to be a lawyer. She listens and reads all about logical fallacies so she can uh, put holes in every argument I bring to the, to the table. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, but you also, you have a stepson and a stepdaughter. I do. You're, you're I do. raising three children, three black children in an intensely ugly time in the United States. Yeah. What do you, what do you tell them? about opportunity, responsibility, rules, laws, success, how to play the game. What do you share with yeah. them as far as fatherly advice? So my stepkids are um, older. So they're 25 and 21. And so with them being older, when they listen, <laughs> it's the key, right? But 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 in general, with, with all of them, you know, I basically tell them that you can still do whatever you want in this world. Um, if you look back in history, you know, we, Yes, there's challenges, but comparatively to the Jim Crow errors and some of these other times in history, our challenges are not that bad. You know, we, there's a lot more opportunities and advantages. So you just have to buckle down. You have to work hard. You're you're in a situation where you come from parents that have certain um, advantages, you know, with edu ed education and connections and things of that nature. So you really have fewer excuses for not achieving. If you don't achieve, it's because you chose not to. Not because you can't. So that's I've been told to by all of the the mentors and my parents as well that the harder you work, the luckier you get. And exactly. while I think there are still obstacles and we stumble, there's still, thankfully, some truth to that. Mm -hmm. So, Doctor Watson, grit means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Some people, sadly, when they think of grit and Detroit, they think of the dirty, grimy, industrial nature of this region and that gritty past of ours. Um, I know when I think of grit, I think of it in a very positive way. And so that's why I named my show Grit. That's why I bring people like you into the conversation. But I think you've got grit. Do you think you've got grit? And if so, how do you define grit? Well, Margaret, I'm the grittiest, okay? <laughs> I love it. 
I can spot it. It's so, um, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a person of a few words. I prefer to be the person that is uh, executing. And so I feel like that's key uh, to, to having grit is not being one that you, I'm sure you come across people all the time that talk the talk, but don't walk the walk, right? And uh, I prefer to be the latter. I'd rather be working now than talking. So this, once again, that's why this is a, a challenge for me, right? Um, but, um, you know, those are the things that I really focus on is action and creating things and being willing to sacrifice um, through care and through this endeavor. You know, this has been a three-year journey for me. Um, and it wasn't until the last year that people really found value in my way of doing things. So I made a lot of sacrifices. I've worked a lot of hours without getting compensated for it. And I continue to move forward because I believed in what I was doing to that degree. So, so really you dig in and you get it. That's what grit is. It yep. doesn't matter what you put in my way. It's not going to stop me. So. So a lot of people think perfectionism is a great trait. And I've learned over the years, hiring and firing people, that perfectionism often ends up looking a lot like paralysis. People without the capacity to rebound from setbacks, um, those perfectionists don't actually get much done. Right. So what's your rebound strategy? When you experience failure, error, obstacles, or just get stuck and you've got to climb out, do you have a saying that you repeat to yourself? Do you go to a verse in the Bible? What do you do to rebound from the worst of the setbacks? So um, the first thing I do is not focus on them. I don't focus on things that don't go my way because every day something's not going to go my way. I'm used to that. Um, what I do, though, is I'm very uh, strategic. So I well, I make a list every single morning of what I need to try to accomplish that morning. And every single day, I never complete that list. But what I do a lot of times, I look back at that list two, three weeks later and realize that I've accomplished the tasks that were most important on that list previously. But the, the point of doing that is, and, and, and what I'm trying to say at the end of the day is that I keep moving forward. And so you just do what you can every day. You try to achieve as many objectives as you put forward you know, every single day. And then you wake up another day and do it again. It's that simple. It's great advice. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you think would really showcase for the listeners and viewers of this media cast, who you are and what you bring to the table when it comes to grit? I'm a person that's doing this not to better or improve my life, but to improve other people's lives, whether that be uh, other dentists or hygienists or the community at large. You know, dentistry is going away from ownership by providers. It's, and I think that the patients lose in that, that model. And so by coming to the care model, it will provide you with the opportunity to have the autonomy, to not have all the stress of a lot of overhead and have versatility. And in exchange for that, the patients will uh, benefit as well. Thank you, Dr. Quan Watson. Grit, we can't seem to teach it, we know it when we see it, and there's a lot we can learn from it. And that's why we talk about it here on GRIT. Please tell us what you think, and please tell your friends about GRIT. Until next month, I'm Margaret Trimmer.